0: Welcome to Seeing Red, a true crime podcast. My name's Bethan, and thank you for joining me once again this week. Now, I did mention last week that I was hoping to have a guest couple of co-hosts with me this week. Unfortunately, that hasn't worked out. So it is just myself again this week. Everyone's being reasonably nice to Mark over on social media, wishing him to get better soon and that sort of thing. But I think we probably all want to just go a little bit of a fuck off mark. (laughs) I'm joking, obviously I genuinely want him to feel better seen, but I just thought you'd all enjoy that. I apologise again that it's a solo episode because I know you don't love it. I know you like it when it's the two of us, but this is a really interesting case and hopefully one that you won't mind it just being myself. Before I get started, I want to say a huge thank you to our newest Patreon supporters. So a massive thank you to... Rura crumbs, which just made me chuckle so much, and also uh, Sophie Strachan. So thank you both, thank you so much. If you wanted to join these guys and support us on Patreon, please head to Patreon.com/forward/slash/seeingredpodcast to find out more. And this week in the episode, we're going to hear from two—I would say show sponsors, but they're not show sponsors. They are two of our listeners' businesses that we genuinely love and would like to support. So these are guys who have been show sponsors in the past. So I'm just going to give you a heads up that this week we're going to hear from two and they are actually our listeners. So I'd love it if, um, if you didn't want to skip through their adverts, really, basically. It's kind of my, my um, hope for those. So I'll just let you know that that's going to happen um, throughout the episode. Hull is a port city in the north of England, situated on the east coast of Yorkshire. It has a population of approximately 260,000 people and is a major economic hub for the region. Hull has a rich history dating back to the 12th century and has played a significant role in maritime trade and commerce. The city has a diverse cultural scene with a number of museums, galleries and theatres and is also home to Hull University, one of the largest universities in the country. This week I'm going to tell you the tragic story of one of Hull University's promising young students a vulnerable young woman named Libby Squire, whose senseless killing gripped the nation in the winter of 2019. Liberty Squire, better known as Libby, was born on the 18th of June 1997 in High Wycombe, Buckinghamshire in England, to her parents Lisa and Russ. She was the eldest of the four Squire children and was a doting and protective older sister to her three younger siblings. Not long after Libby was born, the Squire family moved to the small village of Hardwick near Cambridge, where Libby grew up, and she attended the local primary school before moving on to secondary school in nearby Camborne. As a girl, Libby was described by those who knew her best as a bright, kind and deeply caring individual. To her friends, she was said to be wickedly funny with a razor-sharp whip that was backed by a warm smile. Libby was a bright and talented student from a young age with a keen interest in philosophy and literature. She excelled in her studies and was a member of the school debating team where she developed her skills in critical thinking and public speaking. She was also a talented musician and played the guitar and the piano. Are any of our listeners on a debate team, by the way? Please do reach out on social media if you are. I always wonder, would it be a good idea to do something like that because would I be able to argue with people better? Do they really teach you just to argue, or do they do they teach you to be more quick with your thinking? I don't know, just a bit of an aside there, guys, but I was just wondering. When Libby reached her teenage years, her high level intellect and academic ability suddenly threatened to become her undoing. Libby was a highly ambitious girl, but she had a nasty habit of holding herself to absurdly impossible standards of perfection, and this pattern of behaviour seemed to intensify as she got older. She began to push herself so hard that, at 16 years of age, she almost suffered a full-on nervous breakdown. She lost weight, she became depressed, anxious, she developed an eating disorder. But despite her difficulties, Libby soldiered on. She continued to work hard and she achieved glowing A-level results. In 2016, Libby moved to Hull to attend university where she planned to study philosophy. At first, her mother Lisa was nervous about Libby being so far away, owing to her fragile state of mental health, but Libby was over the moon. She was beyond excited to start this new chapter in her life. Libby took to student life like a duck to water and quickly made a plethora of new friends. Within weeks, she had gotten actively involved in the university's student community, participating in several campus clubs and societies. Despite being away from her family and her hometown, Libby remained close to her parents and her siblings. She regularly visited home and kept in touch with her family and friends through social media and messaging apps. As mentioned earlier, Libby was a highly ambitious girl who was always busy on her grind and striving to achieve grand goals. She had big, long-term plans that included going travelling around the world with her friends after graduation before becoming a journalist. And these goals were not in any way far-fetched, Libby had enormous potential and could have realistically achieved anything she set her mind to. Her childhood boyfriend, Connor James Pye, later described how Libby was the most interesting and capable human being he'd ever met. By early 2019, when Libby was in her second year of university, life was good. The student lifestyle suited her so perfectly that her family would later comment how she was as happy, healthy and fulfilled then as she had ever been in her entire life. Her mother wondered why she'd ever been so worried about Libby starting university and she was able to sleep soundly at night in the knowledge that her beloved firstborn child was happy, healthy and safe in Hull. However, a cruel twist of fate was about to tragically alter the Squire family's lives forever. So I'm first going to tell you about Beautiful Jewellery Company and we have been genuinely excited to talk to you guys about Beautiful Jewellery Company again. This is a small family-run business that was established in 2011 by a husband and wife duo. With offerings in all aspects of jewellery design, as well as jewellery parts, loose stones, repairs and bespoke one-off design pieces, they specialise in high-quality British-made jewellery from a UK business. I bought a beautiful pendant from these guys. It is the staple of my wardrobe. I love it, it's gorgeous and I've had so many compliments about it. Beautiful Jewellery Company work with a variety of metals such as yellow, white and rose gold, as well as silver and platinum. So there really is something for everyone. Beautiful Jewellery Company Limited offer a wide range of products that can be made with customer specifications to their own design and in their choice of gemstones and diamonds. So I don't know if you guys remember me talking about when I got Dan to create a bracelet for me for my best friend who was getting married. Um, That was a couple of years ago. Must have been a couple of years ago now because I think I was pregnant. So yeah, I think it was a while ago. Anyway, um, that bracelet meant so much to her. She really, really liked it. And it was a unique item made especially for her big day. Mark purchased some jewellery for, I think it was his mum from Beautiful Jewellery Company, and he was really impressed as well. We've both always been really impressed with the speed of how quickly things come in the post, how beautiful all the items are, and how well packaged they are. And we have a special offer for listeners of Seeing Red. So the amazing timeless discount code of 10% off your entire basket with no minimum order amount is still active on their site. So this is the code RED10, R-E-D, and then the numbers 1 and 0. The great thing is that all orders are available with worldwide shipping. The website is ever-changing, new products are added daily, and special offers and unique rarities are on offer throughout the year. So what are you waiting for? Head over to beautifuljewellerycompany.co.uk and use the code RED10 for 10% off your order. On the night of January the 31st, 2019, Libby and some of her university friends decided to have a night out. The group of five girls planned to meet at one of their houses and enjoy some pre-drinks before heading out to a popular nearby nightclub. At around 10 o'clock at night, Libby sent her boyfriend Connor a text message to say goodnight and explain that she was heading out with her friends and to say that she was leaving her phone at home. Libby and her friends got through several bottles of wine, and by the time they decided to leave the house just before 11 o'clock, they were all heavily intoxicated. At 11.20, Libby and her friends arrived at the nightclub. CCTV from outside the venue captured Libby approaching the main doors. The footage shows a visibly drunk Libby staggering around, stumbling, unable to maintain her balance as she walked, and behaving, just in generally, very drunkenly. The bouncers saw that Libby was severely impaired and so they decided to refuse her entry. They gently told her that she was much better off calling at night, going home, sleeping it off and coming back next week. There was no major fuss. Libby walked away from the interaction without any drama. She didn't have an aggressive bone in her body and she certainly wasn't the type to kick off in a drunken rage. Libby decided to heed the bouncers' advice and head home. However, she did insist that her friends go into the club without her. So her friends escorted Libby to a taxi gave the driver some money and watched as the car drove away. They then entered the club and resumed their night out. None of them knew that that would be the last time that they would ever see Libby alive. And what I would like to just mention here is I think they've all done what you would expect to be the sensible thing, haven't they? She's not kicked off. She's not really gotten upset about this. She's kind of like, you know what? Fair point. I am drunk. I'll go home. Her friend's She says to them, no, you should go and enjoy your night. So they do the right thing. They get her a taxi. They pay for it in advance. They do what what you would think would be the right thing, don't they? Libby's friends headed back to one of the group's houses just after three in the morning when they planned to wind down with a few more drinks. And one of the girls texted Libby but got no response. So she decided to text Libby's housemates just to make sure that Libby had gotten home okay. To their utter shock, the housemate that she texted, texted back immediately to say no, Libby hadn't come home at all. They, you know, the housemates, had assumed that she was still out. This was completely unlike Libby, and her friends immediately knew that something was off. They all simultaneously got on their phones and began urgently calling and texting everyone they knew who may have seen Libby after she'd left the club that night. However, nobody had seen or heard anything from her. Her housemate then found Libby's phone still in her room, and they also found her house keys. So I don't know if you remember, but she'd messaged her boyfriend to say she was leaving her phone at home. The situation was getting more and more distressing with every passing minute. Libby was lost and alone on a bitterly cold and snowy night on the streets of Hull. She was severely intoxicated, she didn't have a phone with her, and as the sun began to rise with still no sign of Libby, the decision was made by her housemates to report her to the police as a missing person. The police were immediately concerned for Libby's welfare and an urgent missing persons investigation was launched. Libby's family were informed of the situation and asked to provide as much relevant information on Libby as they could. As Lisa and Russ described their daughter's earlier struggles with mental health to the police, officers considered the possibility that Libby had experienced a sudden psychological breakdown and had run away. Of course, not even one of Libby's family or friends thought that this could possibly be the case. In the weeks and months leading up to her disappearance, Libby had been as happy as she'd ever been in her life. She adored her housemates, she loved the life that she'd created for herself in Hull and had recently achieved outstanding results from her course assignments. By all accounts, Libby was smashing it out of the park, so it made very little sense that she would suddenly have an overnight mental breakdown and run away without a word. But the problem was that... At such an early age in the investigation, the police had no evidence whatsoever that any harm had come to Libby, and therefore they were obliged to treat her as if she had simply absconded. It didn't take the media long to catch on to the developing story. The police welcomed the publicity and issued the press with a recent picture of Libby, urging the public to come forward if they had any information pertaining to her whereabouts. The police successfully dragged down the taxi driver who had driven Libby home that night, He stated that he had dropped her off outside her house and watched her walk towards the house as he drove away, but he did not see her go inside. The taxi driver's story was validated by CCTV footage that clearly showed Libby getting out of the vehicle. However, as the police watched on, they saw that Libby, for reasons which will forever remain a mystery, had opted not to go inside. Instead, she staggered down the street and turned the corner onto a main road. Her wandering appeared to be aimless and her body language seemed nervous and erratic. A few days later, as the search for Libby was at its peak, several witnesses came forward to report that they had seen Libby wandering the streets that night, saying she was deeply agitated and distressed. One witness saw her sitting in the snow crying her eyes out, but she resisted all offers of help and support from any passers-by. The last person to see Libby was a concerned member of the public who pulled his car over when he saw Libby crying on a bench. He asked if she was okay and offered to help her. She assured him that she was fine, so he drove away. These sightings of Libby gave further credence to the possibility that mental health was to blame for Libby's disappearance, but they also gave the police cause to become much more concerned for her safety. The UK was in the peak of winter and Libby was by no means adequately dressed or equipped to survive the bitterly cold sub-zero temperatures for very long. The search efforts were ramped up and before long, hundreds of Libby's fellow university students suspended their class schedules to assist the police in the search for Libby. And meanwhile, forensic investigators scoured the streets where Libby was last seen for any clues as to where she may have gone. The police went door to door, interviewing the residents and searching wheelie bins and even drains for clues, but they found nothing of significance. Technically, the police were still treating this case as a missing persons investigation and it was quickly shaping up to become the largest missing persons investigation in Humberside Police's history. However, it wasn't long before the media began to speculate on the possibility of an abduction, a claim which the police declined to either confirm or deny. A televised press conference was held and the police again urged the public to be on the lookout and to come forward with any information they may have, no matter how small they thought this might be. They urged people to look in their sheds and garages and outhouses for any sign of Libby and Libby's distraught parents also made a public appeal, addressing Libby directly, urging her to make contact and let someone, anyone, know that she was safe. By now five days had come and gone and the police had zero clues to Libby's whereabouts. Police divers were scouring the nearby rivers and lakes looking for any sign of her, but for all their best efforts the police failed to uncover a single clue. The only information the detectives had to go on was this patchy CCTV trail that showed Libby's final movements, so they soon turned their attention back to that, opting to analyse the footage much more rigorously and with fresh eyes. As they busied themselves with the painstaking task of analysing hours' worth of CCTV footage, they received their first, very much needed, credible tip. A member of the public called the police to report that, on the same night that Libby had vanished, at around half past midnight, he had been woken up by a loud piercing scream coming from the wooded area within Oak Road playing fields. This is a recreational ground around five minutes' walks from Libby's house on Wellesley Avenue. So the scream was so loud and disturbing that he'd actually gotten out of bed to look out of his window. He saw a man hurrying away from the area towards a parked car, a silver Vauxhall Astra. The police rigorously followed up on this new line of inquiry, and as luck would have it, it was this that led them to their most promising lead. Working on the assumption that this scream that the witness had heard had indeed come from Libby, detectives began to scour through the CCTV footage from the area surrounding Oaks Road playing area, and before long, they noticed something very peculiar. They noticed that the same car kept appearing on the screen, and it seemed to be driving around the block with no particular purpose. It kind of seemed like the driver was maybe searching for something or someone. It was kind of driving around... And kept appearing. And even though it was dark, the police were able to ascertain that the car was a silver Vauxhall Astra. So more than likely, the same Vauxhall Astra that had been spotted parked up near the playing area by the man who'd heard the scream. And I feel like our listeners are not going to let me go past this without mentioning that if you hear something... Note down what time you heard it, even if you don't feel like it's important at that moment, because we've talked about this before, haven't we? Where you hear something, you think, I wonder what that was. But potentially, like this man, you might think to yourself, oh God, I remember hearing something actually. I wonder if it was that night and you rack your brains and you realise it was and you can give the police the time and it could give them a really good lead. Most of the time, when I hear stuff, it turns out to be foxes or someone just like having an argument. But you just never know, do you? So anyway, a little bit of a segue there, but I know we've mentioned it many times before. As the police continued following the car's CCTV trail, the footage became more and more chilling. Just before midnight, the Astra had driven past Libby as she'd been walking along the main road. The driver had then doubled back on himself several times, clearly interested in whatever Libby was doing. After a few moments, the driver had pulled over close to Libby on the opposite side of the road. The driver had then gotten out and covertly followed Libby on foot as she turned and walked down a side street in the direction of her home. The police couldn't see the driver's face clearly, but it was obviously a middle-aged male. The CCTV trail picked them back up a few minutes later and the man was seen following Libby from a distance observing her stalking her preying on her vulnerability trying to gauge what she was doing and if she was alone it's just terrifying isn't it guys can you imagine being the police and watching this and knowing that you're seeing something that's happened and you can't stop and then a few moments later the man was seen crossing the road and heading straight for Libby The unidentified male and Libby had a brief conversation lasting around five minutes, and then Libby had turned and walked with him back in the direction to where the Vauxhall Astra was parked. About five minutes after midnight, Libby and the unknown male were seen getting into the car and driving away. The CCTV trail tracked the car as it drove to a parking area, at Oak Road playing fields. And by checking the timestamp on the CCTV footage, police realised that the car arrived at the Oak Road playing fields around 10 minutes before the nearby resident reported hearing that loud scream. About 20 minutes after the car had been seen entering the playing fields, it was observed leaving again and driving back out onto the streets. This was by far the most promising and compelling need that the police had discovered since the very outset of the investigation, and they were keen to follow it up rigorously. However, it also brought with it some serious ramifications. This confirmed everyone's worst fears that Libby had been abducted. The police's next course of action was to urgently track down the Vauxhall Astra and question the driver. However, they had not been able to read the car's registration number or get a clear image of the driver's face. They needed to find other witnesses, or failing that, a better image of the car. And within two days, they got exactly what they'd hoped for. Two young women contacted the police to make complaints about two separate incidents that had taken place on the same night that Libby had vanished. Both women reported that around 3am, a silver Vauxhall had pulled up next to them and the driver had gotten out and began masturbating in front of them. The women both commented on how appallingly brazen the man had been about it and how he just didn't seem to care who saw him. The police knew in an instant that they were dealing with the same man and it was obvious that the person they were hunting was a highly dangerous sexual deviant who would, without a doubt, strike again eventually. The pressure was on to find him and arrest him before that could happen. Using the time frame and approximate location of where the girls had been harassed that night, the police were able to pick up this Vauxhall Astra on CCTV once again. This time, however, the quality of the footage was infinitely better. Not only were they able to get the car's registration number, but they also managed to get a near perfect picture of the man's face. The net was closing in they had their man. The car was successfully tracked to its registered keeper on on the 6th of February 2018 an arrest was made and we're just going to take a moment here to hear from our other listeners' business, Adapax. So this company helps you to protect your dog from the UK's only venomous snake, the Adder. Adder packs exist to help you administer the correct first aid to your dog in the event of an Adder bite before you can get to a veterinary surgery. Everything you need is tucked away in this pack, including a very clear and concise what to do guide to help you through. The business was set up by Catherine, a qualified veterinary nurse who has worked in the industry since 1997. As you can imagine, she has seen and treated many adabytes in her time. She wanted to create these packs in the hope that as many patients as possible get to go home to their families as quickly as they can. And knowing from experience just how much prompt first aid can impact on these cases, she created these handy packs. And just to make sure you're aware, adders are still around at the moment. They're still around until the end of September. So this is still very important right now. So what's inside an adder pack and why is it needed? So you get an an emergency information card which you fill with your dog's details and your vet's contact information for quick reference. You get a UK snake identification card which helps you to identify the three different snakes which are native to the UK and you can use this card to familiarise yourself with what an adder looks like. You also have an adder distribution map to find out if there would be adders in the area you're walking and so much more. As I said, adders are still around until the end of September, so this is a must-have for dog owners. Mark has purchased one of these for his new puppy that he's got, and I've purchased one for my sister who lives out in the countryside. I was really pleased with how little space it takes up, so she can easily carry that with her when she's on her horse or whilst walking her dog on foot. Please support our listener Catherine and look out for your furry bestie by purchasing an Adder pack and taking it with you on your walks. Head to AdderPacks.com, so that's A-D-D-E-R and then the word Packs.com and carry it in your backpack whenever you're working your dog for a peace of mind that you have the knowledge and ability to do what's needed for your furry friend if the worst should happen. So that's AdderPacks.com. 24-year-old Pavel Relewicz was born on the 25th of June, 1994, in Warsawice, a small industrial town in northern Poland. He came to the United Kingdom as a teenager in 2015. At the time of Libby's disappearance, he was employed as a butcher, working for a meat processing plant in Moulton in North Yorkshire. Renovic was married, having met his wife Jagoda on a dating website in 2016, and they'd met in person only on a few occasions before she moved from Poland to live with him in Hull. The couple had two children. At the time of being detained by police on suspicion of kidnapped, Renovich had no criminal records and was not known to police. Whilst in custody, however, the police took his DNA and ran a sample through their database, and what they discovered shocked them to their very core. It transpired that since 2017, Powell Relevich had been committing a series of sexual offences and sexually motivated burglaries in and around Hull that appeared to be escalating in severity as time progressed. In July 2017, a woman sharing what we would discuss as an intimate moment with her boyfriend spotted Relevich spying on them through her ground floor bedroom window. In December of that same year, he broke into a house and stole three vibrators, along with cash, other sex toys, condoms, clothing and electronics. In January 2019, less than three weeks before Libby's disappearance, Relovich publicly masturbated in front of groups of women on two separate occasions. And in one of these instances, he actually followed the women home and ejaculated onto the front door of their house. Although he'd left substantial forensic evidence at the scene of many offences, Relevich was not identified because he had no criminal record and his DNA and fingerprints were not available to police. At the time of his arrest, Relovitch's home and car were searched and he was found to be in possession of a pink hole door containing sex toys, fem- female underwear, photographs of women, all of which he'd stolen during his burglaries, and his semen and saliva were found on some of the items. Relovich was subjected to hours and hours of relentless police interrogation Initially, he denied having ever met Libby. However, when he was confronted with the damning CCTV evidence against him, he changed his story and he admitted that he had indeed picked her up that night. He told police that he'd stopped to assist Libby because she was drunk, cold and visibly upset. He claimed that Libby had essentially offered herself up to him physically, so they had had consensual sex in his car and he dropped her off at the playing fields. When questioned about his string of sexually motivated burglaries he accepted that he did have a problem controlling his sexual urges but he strenuously denied any involvement in Libby's disappearance. The police had Powell Relovich banged rights on several burglaries and several sex offences for which he was facing significant jail time however they did not have enough evidence to convict him for the abduction and probable murder of Libby Squire. By now, the police were working under the assumption that Libby was dead and that Powell Ranovic had raped and killed her, but they did not have significant evidence to prove that Libby was dead, let alone to secure a solid conviction for her murder. They needed to find Libby, alive or dead, at any cost. And they didn't have to wait very long. On the 20th of March 2019, a fisherman working in the Humber estuary near Sperm Point, which is located on the east coast of Yorkshire, discovered the decomposed remains of a young woman. The body was wearing a small necklace with the letter L on it and a very brief forensic examination confirmed that this was indeed the body of Libby Squire. The exact cause of death could not be determined due to Libby's advanced state of decomposition but the lead pathologist was able to confirm that Libby had been raped very shortly before she died and actually trace amounts of Powell Relovich's DNA were discovered within her body. Following this heartbreaking discovery, an outpouring of grief and support was shown by the local community and beyond. Tributes were paid to Libby in various ways to honour her memory and to provide comfort to her family and friends during this difficult time. Floral tributes were left at several locations around Hull, including the bench where Libby was sat, sitting before her disappearance. People left flowers, cards and personal messages expressing their condolences and their sympathy. The full oral tributes created a memorial site where people could gather and reflect and pay their respects. Vigils were organised by the community to remember Libby and to show support for her family. These gatherings brought together hundreds of people who lit candles, held a minute of silence and shared their memories of Libby. The vigils aimed to create a space for healing, unity and solidarity amongst those who had been affected by this tragedy. In addition to physical tributes, social media platforms played a significant role in expressing condolences and sharing memories of Libby. The hashtag LibbySquire was widely used, allowing people to express their grief, offer support and share stories and photos of Libby. The online tributes provided a virtual space for people to come together and express their emotions, reinforcing a sense of community and remembrance. Elsewhere, the police were finally able to charge Pavel Rolovich with Libby's kidnap, rape and murder. The police's body cam captured the moment that Relevich was arrested, re-arrested I should say, sorry, and the footage, which has since been released to the public, shows the arresting officer informing Relevich that he is being charged for the rape and murder of Libby Squire. Relevich shows not one shred of surprise. He shakes his head and begins to laugh out loud, insisting it's all a big misunderstanding. The police now had a plethora of circumstantial and forensic evidence and the CPS agreed to take the case to trial. On the 31st of October, Pavel Relovich appeared before Kingston-upon-Hull Crown Court, charged with abduction, rape and murder. He was remanded in custody and a provisional trial date was set for June 2020 at Sheffield Crown Court. After several long delays caused by the pandemic, the trial commenced on the 12th of January 2021 and it lasted for just over one month. Pavel Ralevich pleaded not guilty to all charges. The prosecution argued that Relovich had been in the centre of Hull, prowling the streets and looking for an opportunity on the night that Libby had been taken. And when he came across Libby, intoxicated, emotionally vulnerable and possibly suffering from hypothermia, he either invited or forced her into his car with the intention of committing a violent sexual offence. The prosecution claimed he then took Libby to Oak Road playing fields where he raped and subsequently murdered her before disposing of her body into the river. To strengthen their argument, the prosecution highlighted Relovitch's history of sexual deviancy and sexually motivated offending in the 18 months before the murder, claiming that he was a man with uncontrollable sexual urges. In his defence, Relovitch claimed to be a good Samaritan who only stopped to offer help to Libby when he realised that she was upset and visibly intoxicated. He claimed that he drove her to Oak Road playing fields where they hugged, kissed and had consensual sex and afterwards he claimed he then left her at the playing fields and drove off in search of another woman to have sex with. This just pisses me off a lot because you can't say you're a good Samaritan and you stop to help someone and then take full advantage of them and then if, you know, if we're to believe his story which we obviously don't, to then leave her in a wooded area. Like, if you're a good Samaritan you would help that person get to their house. You'd knock on their house and you'd say, look, this girl's really drunk and you'd get them into their home with their housemates. It's just, we talk about this so often, don't we? Stupid people giving stupid reasons for what they did. He was driving round looking for a victim, clearly. Now he did admit that he committed further public sex offences that night, including exposing him to several young females in that area that night, but he maintained that he was innocent of Libby's murder. And sickeningly, Renovitch's defence team tried to convince the jury that Libby had killed herself by jumping into the river after a mental health breakdown. Extracts from Libby's medical records were read to the jury showing she had previously experienced suicidal thoughts, which did include thoughts of drowning herself in a river. The argument was swiftly shut down by the enraged judge, but not before this caused enormous pain and anguish to Libby's loved ones who were in attendance. On the 11th of February 2021, after six days of deliberation, the judge found Pavel Relovich guilty of the kidnap, rape and murder of Libby Squire. He was sentenced to life imprisonment with a minimum term of 27 years and was sentenced to a concurrent term of 18 years imprisonment for her rape. In her sentencing remarks, the judge, Mrs Justice Lambert, agreed with the description of Renovitch's crimes as a perverted campaign of sexually deviant behaviour and of him as a very dangerous individual. In the aftermath of the trial, Libby Squire's mother captured the hearts of the nation when she wrote a lengthy and heart-wrenching tribute to her daughter on Facebook, in which she said the following... I cannot thank you enough, my darling Pi, for making me your mummy, for choosing me to be your mummy. I kept you safe as long as I could, and I am so sorry that I could not keep you safe on that night. I'm sorry. I'm so, so sorry. I love you, my beautiful girl, with all my being and always will. Until we meet again, my pie, I love you more. Do you know what? From a very personal point as well, that is such a, a really difficult thing to read, because my youngest daughter's nickname is Puddin and pie like that's been her nickname since she was very very little and we quite often call her Puddin. so we don't we don't say the same nickname but it really reminded me just really feel for the parents don't we when we hear these awful statements and tributes that the parents or family members or loved ones or anybody leaves it's just just heartbreaking isn't it fundraising efforts were also initiated to support libby's family A crowdfunding campaign was set up to assist with funeral expenses and to provide financial support during their grieving process. The campaign received an overwhelming response, with donations pouring in from individuals and organisations who wanted to offer their support and help alleviate some of the family's burdens during such a difficult time. Libby's University, the University of Hull, held memorial events to honour her life and academic achievements – And these events provided an opportunity for students, staff and faculty members to come together, share memories. These memorial events were an opportunity to pay tribute to Libby's vibrant spirit and academic pursuits. The university also offered support services to students who were affected by the tragedy, ensuring that they had access to counselling and other resources. The tributes to Libby Squire demonstrated the profound impact that she had on her community and beyond and they reflect the deep sense of loss and empathy felt by people who were touched by her story. The tributes also served as a reminder of the importance of coming together during times of tragedy and supporting one another through collective grief. So thank you for joining me once again everybody. Another very harrowing case this week. I'm gonna have to see if Mark can return next week with something a little bit light-hearted for us I, so I'm not usually the one who has to ask him for that he's usually the one who says to me that he needs something but these couple of weeks have been rather rather awful haven't they um we will be back as a duo as long as nothing else happens next week so thank you for listening to this episode and we'll join you then And um, yeah, thank you for joining me. Please do take a moment to check out our show. I was going to say show sponsors, our listeners, businesses who have been show sponsors in the past. So we've got Beautiful Jewellery Company, who I spoke about first of all, and we've got Adapax, who I spoke about second. And if you do decide to support either of these businesses, please do get in touch and show off what you bought. And if you would like to support us on Patreon, head to patreon.com slash seeingredpodcast. As always, however, any support you give the show is massive. And we're coming towards the end of season nine at the moment. And I hope Mark won't mind me just sharing that when it comes to season 10 starting up, it's also going to be that we've hit our five year anniversary, which is really, really exciting. And we've got some big plans and some ideas for that. So just a little teaser for you all. Just a little bit of a let's look forward to that. Thank you for listening to this episode. Take care. Bye. Hi angels, it's your girl Louise Rumble and I'm the host of the Open House Podcast. Therapy quite literally changed my life and sent me straight into my hot healing girl era. Now, each week I share my story, the good, the bad and the downright juicy and chat with some of the world's best therapists, psychologists and wellness experts. From love, sex and dating to attachment styles, nervous system regulation, wellness hacks, hormone balancing and more, nothing is off the table. I've emptied my bank account on therapy and healing so you don't have to so if you're ready to leave the past in the past and build the future you've always deserved me and my favorite experts are waiting for you on the open house podcast listen now wherever you stream your podcasts and i cannot wait to meet you